Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Thursday, May 19th, uh, 2022, and today we're reading from the big book. And we are currently on page number five, the first paragraph. It starts, liquor ceased to be a luxury, and it ends with uh, periods of sobriety, which renewed my wife's hope. And we're just going to comment on the one paragraph. So today's readers, we have Davlin on the 12 steps, and we've got Margaret's going to jump on a, on the 12 traditions. And then the readers of the text, we have Abby S. and Kathy S. And uh, the share ID, let me give you that for yesterday, Wednesday, May 18th, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. That number is 18,969. That's 18969. The 10 a.m. meeting yesterday is 18,979. That's 18979. The OA preamble, <clears throat> Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. And we welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There's no dues. We don't have any fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. We don't uh, solicit nor accept outside donations. We're not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. And then we carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose. And that purpose is to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people uh, who suffer from compulsive overeating, they can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So at this point, I will ask uh, Davlin E. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Davalyn E, and I am a compulsive overeater living gratefully and joyfully in recovery in Manitoba, Canada. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you, Devlin. Okay, so with the uh, 12 traditions, Margaret's going to jump in. Hey, Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Margaret D. Recovered in uh, Compulsive Eater. One, and these are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks. Thank you for jumping in there, Margaret. Okay, here's how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then we stop and share on what was read. And anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your your share to approximately three minutes, and I'll I'll give you a heads up on that. Singleness of uh, purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year. For readers, it's six months. And there is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing, sharing be directly linked to what was read. And uh, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. If you'd like to share, press star one to unmute your phone. Once you're done sharing, uh, let us know by saying pass and then uh, mute yourself again with uh, star one. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we are, we'll resume our study in the big book. We are currently on page number five, the first paragraph. 
and uh, Abby, it starts, uh, she's going to take us through. It starts with liquor ceased to be a luxury, and it ends with periods of sobriety, which renewed my wife's hope. And Abby's just going to comment on the one paragraph. So Abby S., good morning. Hello, good morning. This is Abby S., recovered in Michigan. Thanks for your service. Um, glad to be here. All right. Liquor seems to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub, gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. Delicatessens. All right, yep. This went on endlessly, and I began to wake to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I was. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. My wife's hope. So, yeah, when I was reading this, a couple things jumped out to me this morning. Um, the first, The first part was about that word that I delicatessen I kept on trying to figure out how to pronounce it this morning so I'd be prepared um but that is defined as a store selling cold cuts cheeses and a variety of salads as well as a selection of unusual or foreign prepared food so like I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens um it didn't matter if I had ten dollars in my bank account like I would spend it at at the, like at the store on whatever I need to get my substances. And um, the other thing is that um, I still thought I could control the situation and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my life's hope. So um, there was there was situations, my dog just decides to play with a um, empty water bottle right now and the person decides next door decides to get their lawn stuff out as I'm trying to read but anyways okay so um I still thought I could control the situation so I was living in Michigan and I moved to California and I was like all right when I move to California like no more binging and purging like I'm not going to be bulimic anymore I'm going to be I'm going to start fresh and um you know that's a big like statement you can't just like all of a sudden like move across the country again like I can't like, take that back. So I've been preparing, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I was actually like in good, like shape. Like I was exercising. I was trying to eat healthy, but like, I was still binging. It looked like I was in good shape, but like emotionally I wasn't. Anyways, I moved to California and what do you know? I binged and purged and I was like baffled. Like I have these periods of sobriety. Like, why can't I get it? And, um, I think that's when I really, like, hit bottom. It was when I realized, like, I can't just, like, make that promise again, like, moving across the country. Like, I already did it. And um, so, like, I did have periods of, like, renewed hope, but then it's, like, always still followed by still then, you know, worse relapse. And so um, just grateful to be here, recovered today. I at yesterday I went somewhere and I like for it was the first time I've been recovered for almost like four August will be four years and I forgot to eat my meal and I turned around and went home and I was like 
you know, I didn't go to where I was going because I forgot to eat my meal and that was like top priority. So I turned around, but I was like so grateful that I wasn't even mad that I couldn't go where I was going because I was so grateful that I forgot to eat. Like it was the first time where I'm just like, thank you, God. Like I'm not thinking about food 24 seven. And um, so, yeah, I'm super grateful for this recovery and program. And thanks for letting me be a reader and I hope everyone has a great day and I pass. Thanks so much, Abby, for getting us started here. So, um, again, we're on page uh, number five in Bill's story, that first paragraph, just commenting on that first paragraph only. And although we, we value your experience, we love you. We ask that you limit your sharing to every third day to, to let others uh, jump in as well. So with that said, who would like to share on what was read? Lisa P. Lisa in Minnesota. Rachel and Rosie w. Did I hear Stacy? Rosie W. Red H. Annette. Annette M. Rick J. Rachel okay, K. Okay, I got Rick. All right, I'm going to stop with Rachel K. And I'm going to uh, kind of go through who I had here. And um, there was someone from Minnesota, but I heard Lisa first, and then who was the person from Minnesota that said something about Minnesota? <laughs> That's all I heard. Who was that? Okay. With uh, nobody Bonnie from B. Minnesota? Yeah. Was Actually, that Bonnie, Bonnie from B. Minnesota? Yes, okay. Bonnie B. Okay. So Lisa, I heard Bonnie, I heard Rick, I heard Rachel. Um, I heard two Rachels, but that might have been the same Rachel. So I heard Rachel, I heard Stacy, Loretta, and Annette. So that's who I have. So we'll <clears throat> we'll start with um, Lisa, followed by Bonnie. Hey, Lisa, good morning. Lisa, hit uh, hit star one if you would. Okay, we're not hearing Lisa, so uh, we will now come back to Lisa, and we'll go with Bonnie Bonnie from Minnesota. Bonnie? Thank you so much. Can I be heard? You can, Bonnie. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for your service. You know, when I first came in, oh, sorry, Bonnie B. from Minnesota, gratefully recovered by the grace of God for today. Um, I'm very grateful to be here. When I first came into this program and went through the big book, I mean, there was, I mean, I read the chapters, especially Bill's story. And I was, um, I was intrigued. However, I can't say that I saw myself in every paragraph. And now um, every paragraph that I read screams me, which is so amazing to me because I've heard people say over and over, you can't see what you can't see. And this is what it sort of was. As I look at this paragraph, I think, you know, ceased to, or liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. That was the ramping on. It became, it got to be routine with my eating, what, what started occasionally as a binge slash restrict um, became routine. It took over my life. And it went on what seemed to be endlessly because I hid it. So it became 24-7 as to how I was going to either replace the food I ate in the middle of the night um, burn the calories off throughout the course of the day, um, and it started all over. And when I jumped to the end of the paragraph where it says, I still thought I could control the situation, I put in my side notes, this is a thinking disease. This was the deception. I can do it. I just haven't found the right thing. And those periods of sobriety for me, 
they were simply diets and exercise, restriction and binging. And when I felt like I had some sense of control, then once again, um, the disease, the thinking took over and it gave me this renewed hope, like I am normal. I can do this. But the, the best part in my life was when I came to the end of myself. And that was that, um, as Abby had shared it, um, that point where it was like, this is going to kill me. I knew it was going to kill me. And it wasn't because I was 400 pounds. I was, I looked sort of normal on the outside, but I was in complete lockdown on the inside. This disease is so cunning and so baffling, but I am so grateful for the fact that I came to the end of myself where there was that moment where I thought, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. If not physically, then mentally and spiritually. So as I read these paragraphs, I'm amazed at how it is me. Um, Couldn't see it um, so clearly, but boy, can I see it now. And I'm so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful for each of you and so grateful for my God that brought me to this program. And so with that, I will pass. And I thank you so much for allowing me to share and have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Bonnie. Well, my spiritual advisor, uh, my little mini golden doodle, told me it wasn't Lisa, but it was Reva. Reva, thank goodness for little puppies here, right? Good morning, Reva. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I never thought there'd be a day where I was dying so much to share on one of these paragraphs. <laughs> um, um, so, hi, my name is Reva P. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I'm so eager to share on this paragraph because it brings back so many memories. Um, you know, I think that period where um, overeating was a, uh, a luxury was really short, but when it became a necessity, when it was required, and then we'll read later about, you know, re- um, eating for oblivion, that was a long time. Um, like, I just remember the feeling, you know, like not being able to wait after I had collected all my binge foods and got into my apartment and closed the door, like that eagerness, like I just couldn't wait to have that binge, just couldn't wait to get that fix. It was a necessity to get through the day, to calm my nerves, to bring me up when I was down, to bring me down when I was up, whatever it was. Um, and I love how it talks about bathtub gin. And from what I know, bathtub gin is like sort of cheapy kind of wine. Like, you know, it didn't matter. The quality went down, but the quantity went up. Like I would get this, you know, the most sugary, garbagey stuff that was on sale that was probably going to go bad in the store, you know, with those orange labels. Um, it didn't matter. I just needed a lot. I just needed a lot and I needed it quick. Um, so it reminds me of this, you know, the physical allergy part. And then the clincher at the end of this paragraph, I still thought I could control it. Like, you know, it just boggles my mind and I had no education then. So, you know, if I'm allergic to something and I break out in a rash, I cannot control my body from breaking out in a rash, no matter how much I know, no matter how strong my will. And it's the same with this phenomenon of craving, like, my control, my will um, is totally useless when it comes to the physical allergy. And that mental twist that, you know, not believing the true and believing the false, really thinking, my thinking, 
thinking, I can just have one, I can control this. Um, and I think the grave nature of my disease is believing that I can control the uncontrollable, whether it's a binge food, whether it's a person in my life, whether it's a situation. Um, my sponsor's like joking with me, I can't control anything. But you know, my first instinct when I'm scared is I try to control the uncontrollable, and how does that work for me? Uh, not so great. And you know, periods of sobriety, that's very different than periods of recovery. Um, it's really just you know, holding breath underwater till um, the next binge. So thank you so much for letting me share, and I pass. Thanks, Reva. Okay, next up we got Rick and followed by Rachel. There's the one compulsive overeater that rides a motorcycle. Hey, Rick. Good morning. Rick? Good morning, Larry. Uh, thank <laughs> you, sir. Um, not riding today. I'm actually in COVID quarantine right now, and uh, I really oh. need to be on the line here and be connected with you guys. It's been a little rough the last day. Um, or two. I love how we, uh, you know, we go through and we learn, um, you know, through the doctor's opinion, what we're dealing with here. And then we can see how, um, that actually manifests itself in a human being with, with Bill. And I, you know, when I'm thinking about my own life and I'm identifying in with my past, my, you know, my past experience with, with this addiction with food and, uh, you know, and I, the first thing that, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking here is how progressive this disease is. And we can see that progression with Bill. And, and now it's, it's like a necessity. And, and when did that become a necessity for me? You know, when I absolutely had to have food. And for me, and all our experiences are a little different, but, you know, for me, it's, it came when, uh, you know, I had discovered food when I was very young and then I discovered other things that, uh, took me away quicker and more effectively. And then, uh, I quit those, you know, 30 some years ago. And then, uh, I, I went right back into the food and, um, you know, and I had to have it, I had to have that something inside of me that was still, broken you know and it's the obsession of the mind and that physical allergy that one-two punch that I really see coming um, alive it's like a monster <laughs> you know it's being it's coming out now it's it's there and once the monster's out it's never going back in it's a necessity now I have to have it that obsession of the mind has got me to to lead me to the first bite and then the physical allergies got me to I run out or pass out and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that and, you know, I, I see that, uh, you know, back in the doctor's opinion, you know, after they have succumbed to that desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of the spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of recovery. And that's where Bill is right now, and he's trying to control the situation. He didn't realize, as I didn't realize, that without a, a psychic change, without a, um, a spiritual awakening, there's nothing I can do. There's no controlling this. Now, and for years, I would, when I was on the road a lot in a job I had, 
Um, I, I had to have food lined up to where I could constantly take a bite, you know, and I would, I would time, you know, my, my eating and my actual, like putting each bite of food to where it would last me the hour and a half or two hours, whatever it was. Gentle and uh, thank God I don't have to live that way today with that I pass. Hey, Rick, thanks so much. Okay, next up we have Rachel followed by Stacy. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much, and I hope you feel better, Rick. This is Rachel Kay, uh, recovered, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Indiana, and a lot of what you know, occurred to me in this paragraph has already been said by you wonderful compulsive overeaters, my fellows on this call, but I'll think of something. Anyway, um, you know, in this paragraph, Bill has lost the power of choice. And that was the thing. That's why, like, self-knowledge avails me nothing. And I went to a lot of therapy. I mean, and I am not knocking therapy. Therapy's great. But it gave me a lot of self-knowledge and self-awareness, but it availed me nothing because I can't, I can't fix myself. I can't give, I, you know, I can know the why and the, the whatever, but I I'd lost the power of choice. I, I actually think I was born this way. I don't think I ever had the power of choice. You know, they say once you become a pickle, you can never become a cucumber again. I don't know if I ever even was a cucumber. I think I was born a pickle, but, but nevertheless, I, you know, Bill has lost the power of choice and that's how it was for me. I could know, I could know what this binge was going to do to me. I could know how awful I was going to feel the next day, but I didn't have the power of choice. And how do I get the power of choice? By, forming a relationship with God. And how do I form a relationship with God? It's by working these steps. And it's also the same with my character defects. Um, You know, yesterday I, you know, briefly acted out on an old character defect. And it's like, wait, what happened? I know better than that. And it's because I was not staying tethered to God. Um, I have to stay with that connection throughout the day, you know, throughout the day, I have a high spiritual metabolism, you know, I need to constantly refuel with God. And unless I keep that connection, you know, I, I lose the power of choice. It's like, you know, there's no, it goes, it bypasses my brain, that executive function of no, that's, I need to do this instead. Um, and it's only by the grace uh, and the gift of what God gives to me that I can choose not to compulsively overeat, not to out, act out on my character defects, and to be of service to him and to my fellows. So anyway, thank you for calling on me. Everybody have a great day, and I pass. Thanks, Rachel. Okay, next up is Stacy, followed by Loretta. Stacy. Take two. Did I hear a Stacy? I don't know. That's what I that's what I heard in my head, but I could be wrong about that. Hey Larry, could it have been uh, Rosie? You know what? It could have been Rosie, Stacy. It could have been. So let's go with that. <laughs> Good morning. 
Good afternoon. Um, Good afternoon. Rosie Compulsed Overeater in the UK. Um, I think it was me at the time that you were saying, Stacey. I think I was saying Rosie. Um, Oh, gosh, this paragraph. I find this whole section of Bill's story really harrowing. And um, I think as Compulsed Overeaters, it's perhaps... I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but I sometimes find it harder to uh, remember the depths of the depravity and the darkness and the smallness of my life, um, because it's just not as dramatic or visible as, you know, deep alcoholism. And that's why I need to continue to work through this book um, with sponsees, because I need to be I need to be reconfronted with the reality of my existence and the place to which I will go if I ease up on this spiritual programme of action. Because my life, when food stopped being a luxury and started being a necessity, and as someone else has shared, you know, I I had the money to, to binge on decent food at the time, um, but I didn't care by then. You know, it was just the maximum sugar um, in, you know, that could get into my brain and my bloodstream at the highest speed. Um, and when I read this, this paragraph I oh I feel tearful sometimes I feel sick but I just feel this sense of absolute dread um because because that was me food was a necessity I had to have it I had to have it concealed on my body I had to have it in my pockets I had to have it up my sleeves I had to have it in my bra you know they they were I had to have food I I hid it in toilets you know I my life depended on it and I, you know, as as we often hear, I lived to eat. And what a miserable, dark existence that is. What an awful place that, um, everyone on this line has been to. With food that 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 that, you know, the, the, the eating or the restricting or the vomiting or the purging or whatever of, of food is is all we're living for. Um, and it's it's just oh, it just really fills me with gratitude today because. That is absolutely not my reality now. You know, my food plan, very occasionally, if I'm, you know, if I'm sinking into character defects and self-reliance, my food plan can seem sort of small and restrictive. My food plan is abundant. It's beautiful. I have more than enough. You know, I'm often eating more than other people at dinner time with my weighed and measured meal that they laugh at me for. Um, and, you know, even though I give myself a really hard time about my recovery, as my sponsor reminded me yesterday, it's about frequency, intensity and duration. You know, like when I explode at my kids and then hate myself, I have to get real. I have to look, you know, how frequently am I doing that these days? Very rarely. Uh, what is the duration? It's pretty short. And the intensity is nowhere near as bad as it has been. You know, I once or twice... Thanks, Larry. Once or twice I slap my child. Um, you know, that's that's where I will go. So that's not my reality today. And I'm so grateful. And this paragraph reminds me of what my life could be and still is if I don't seek God's help. Um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Rosie. Okay, next up is Loretta, Loretta followed by Annette. Loretta, good morning. Good morning, Larry, my classmate and teacher. This is Loretta H. in North Carolina, and everybody on this line, thank you for saving my life along with my precious, precious God. And today, with God's mercy and grace, I am recovered. 
this reminds me of all about Eve when that Davis is saying, hang on, and, um, it's going to be a bumpy ride. You better fasten your seatbelt. And that was my last six months of this disease. It was a very, very turbulent time. I could not stop binging. I never ate in the mornings, and I was eating in the mornings, and I had also uh, incurred a stress fracture because I had overrun, and my company was on strike, and my father had died. Anyway, it was just the perfect, perfect storm, and my father wanted me to come out during this time to make his amends because he was an alcoholic, and I did not show up. I couldn't. You know, eating became a necessity, and I was so afraid to go anywhere for fear that I would just end up binging my brains out, even on the airplane when trying to get to California to see him because I was so out of control. And that's my middle name. Now, it says that Lois had hope. That is where I realized I had no hope. You know, in the dash in the first step, that's hopelessness. That's where I was. But I did not realize that it was my life that I was trying to survive from and to recover from, that I am powerless. My life is unmanageable. And I just thought I had an eating disorder. And coming into the rooms and seeing that I have a spiritual malady has been the greatest discovery. It's even better than the Wright Brothers airplane because I can see where it has nothing to do with the food. That was the solution, and especially starving, because it's like doing cocaine, and I've never done cocaine, but I hear that it is. And I don't have to do that anymore. And as I shared just recently, I went through a period where I could not eat and actually had to set my alarm to eat because it's very important for me to be balanced with my God, my meals, and everything because I will never die of anorexia. I will die of compulsive overeating. Because when I was in 2000, when my dad was dying, it was a necessity. And I did not know how to at all relieve any of the pain. And today I don't need the solution of the food. I just need the solution of my God who protects me and you people who helped me. And with that, I pass. And have a blessed day, everybody. Enjoy. Thank you, Loretta. You too. Okay, before we go to Annette, uh, just to let you know, we're on page number five in Bill's story, the first paragraph. And we're commenting on that first paragraph on page five. And Annette's going to do that right now. Hey, Annette. Good morning. Is there an Annette? I mean, I, I've been botching. I got a Rosie instead of a Stacy. I got a, who knows what I'm talking about. Hi, Larry. I'll try it again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Second time. It's always a charm. Yes. Um, I'm Annette M. from Toronto. Um, newly grateful, recovered, compulsive eater. You know, what stands out to me so clearly um, now is that, when he when he says liquor seems to be a luxury, it became a necessity. 
you know, that that leads me right back to the the whole doctor's opinion mental twist, which has been, uh, you know, shared earlier. Um, and, you know, just the idea that he had to keep drinking and, and overcoming the craving, um, that that is so, it's so clear to me now how much I, um, you know, I would eat just to, thinking I would calm myself down because the craving was so loud in my head and I couldn't, I had to get uh, my, my binge foods in. And I'm so grateful that I have this program, you know, that I can come to and be a sane, well, relatively sane mother and have steps that I can go to for a solution. You know, what a gift. And I'm just so grateful. Thanks for letting me share and thanks for your service. I'm glad that you did, Annette. Terrific. Okay, so who else, if you haven't shared in the past uh, couple of days here, who else would like to share? Who was that? Nancy L. Stephanie. Stephanie W. Vasa O. Stephanie W. Stephanie. Okay, thank you, Stephanie. Stephanie, Nancy, Vasa. Harry L. Nancy. Harry, is that Lane? Yep, that's me, Lane C. Okay, let's stop there. Let's stop there because I just want to make sure we get everyone in, which we very well may not. So here's what I heard. I heard Stephanie, Nancy, Vasa. I heard um, Terry and Lane. So let's go. Let's start with Stephanie followed by Nancy. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Perfectly. Excellent. Hi, I'm Stephanie W. I'm from Hollywood, Florida. I'm a compulsive overeater. And, uh, you know, there's so much about this uh, that, that touches me. Something that has occurred to me recently is the that whole, once you're a pickle, you can never be a cucumber again. And thinking about how that applies to my, my journey and program and how I was in such deep denial. I was in such deep denial about the, the damage I was doing with the food and how, and the behaviors, you know? I, I mean, I I knew that what I was doing with the food was wrong. It was all the, the tentacles, the ugliness that came out of it as it related to other people that I didn't, I didn't see or want to see. And, I guess the, the other side of that is that now that I see it, now that I've been willing to look at those behaviors, willing to see the damage that I've done, not only to others, but to myself, I can never unsee it. I am forever changed. And that is, that's the spiritual awakening for me is recognizing that I, I can never go back to that space of denial and you know, just um, staying away from other isolation um, and feeling like I was on the outside of everything. I feel like I'm in this dream now and that I have a way to live my life. And for that, I'm, I'm forever changed. So, you know, that moment of feeling like I could control it, those, those moments of deep desperation or like someone previously was describing where, you know, we couldn't wait couldn't wait to get the food and get home and, and feel 
safe and satiated or uh, someone else shared driving and, and plotting, you know, the plan to have something to chew on or eat every second of, of that ride and needing to feel comfort, needing to feel comfort. And, you know, I, I get it from a different source now. I get it from OA. I get it from our way of living. And it works. So I guess, you know, I, like many others from OA, I, I don't see the the strength that we have together all the time. You know, I, I still dip back into that isolation sometimes of feeling like maybe I'm not, you know, that, I, that fear, that fear can overcome me and wanting to believe that I could ever go back. And though the, the behavior is and the food can call to me. I feel strong in knowing that if I follow our path and if I just put the tools in play, I'm going to be safe and I'm going to be okay because I'm a pickle. I'm an OA pickle. And thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll pass now. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. Okay, next up we have Nancy followed by Vasa. I don't know if we had Nancy L and another Nancy, but this would be the first Nancy. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, it was just one Nancy, I believe. Nancy L. in okay. Arizona, formally, formally Hi, from Colorado. Good morning. Yeah, my favorite word in this paragraph is nonetheless. I used to use that word a lot. I looked it up and there's other um, meanings. So uh, in the book it says, nonetheless, I still thought. Even so, I still thought. Notwithstanding, I still thought. However, I still thought. Yet, I still thought. It's always that me and my ideas, me and my ways. Nancy's going to fix Nancy. Who knew? But I didn't. I never could fix me, ever. Uh, and the ironic part of it uh, is a good example here. I used to do the pay and ways. And every Saturday morning, I'd get up, eat no breakfast. and Well, I never eat breakfast anyway, but go way in. Pay my money and go way in. Well, guess what happened? I would go... Okay, I'd weigh in, and then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, by Friday afternoon, I was clawing at anything. I needed a fix. I needed my fix. So Friday night, I would have a, just a little, but you know what a little is. I had a, I'd have a binge on Friday night, then wake up Saturday morning, go pay my money. I did this over and over and over. And, of course, I was just gaining. I was paying money to gain the weight, and it was because of that thinking that nevertheless thinking I'll do it next time and it just it just was it felt it just crumbled right down on top of my head thank God for OA thank God for the answer and with that I will pass uh, thank you so much Nancy I know that hearing uh, ceased to be a luxury it really became a necessity for me hey Vasa good morning good morning everyone good morning Larry thank you for your service I'm Vasa O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, calling from uh, from Massachusetts, Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I can identify with uh, this paragraph with Bill in many ways, except I did not have the money to go out in restaurants. And, you know, I, we didn't, I didn't come from a lot of money. And when I got married, I stayed home, so there were, money wasn't there much, but I would go and buy the food in the grocery stores or the markets and cook it all. I like, I love to cook. I'm a chef. 
and I like to bake, so I provided everything in my own home. I, I don't think I wouldn't have the money to go out there in restaurants and, you know, or buy it already cooked. So, um, but anyways, I did come for the physical uh, in the program, and I remember I telling myself that once I lose the weight, I was just going to leave. And I learned it was physical, emotional, spiritual. And the spiritual came where I, you know, I was feeding the empty hole that I had in my mouth, in my in my soul, with the food. And I had no clue about that part. I learned I was, as I was getting deeper into the uh, program. So uh, my addiction didn't start till I was 14 and a half, 15 years old. I came to this, we came to this country and we developed all these, which they called them junk foods, but to me they were wonderful, good healthy foods that I thought. But it was killing me. And I've shared before, I gained about 20 pounds in one month. And my mom was very happy because I was a very thin child. We didn't have the food that we have here. So, um, and then I learned in America, thin was well. You know, I remember looking through Sears and Robot catalog, looking at the beautiful um, clothes and models, and I wanted to be like them. And that's what I did my whole life till I came in recovery. Binge, restrict, burn calories, um, exercising to lose the weight for many years, off and on. Ew, I was just on the roller coaster. Everything I was doing, I could not stop eating. And food was accepted in my family, it seems. I didn't have to hide the food. But the, the the disease was getting progressive. Then I started hiding my body with the clothes that I wore to cover up. So there was a lot of shame attached to it. So uh, And I tried everything that I heard people did the, here to control it. And I always failed. I always picked it up. There was no... There was, there was no answer. Thank you. I remember. There was no answer to my problem till I came to Overeaters Anonymous. Rather, Dr. Zapina, I'm just so grateful to be here. So grateful. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Uh, we're grateful you're here, boss. Uh, okay, Terry, it's your turn. Come on up to the mic. Hi, my name is Terry. I'm a co- recovered compulsive eater from Maryland. Um, I, I've not ever shared on the recorded line before, but this paragraph just really describes most of my life. And uh, the the thing that really got to me is I still thought I could control the situation and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. For me, it wasn't a wife's hope, it was my own hope. I would get a day or two or sometimes a week or two, sometimes even a month or two, and I would be like, oh, I got this. I finally got this. And of course, then I would spiral into relapse again and this took me to a, a top weight that I know of, of 270-something pounds, at which point I stopped weighing. And, um, and this went on endlessly. For me, this cycle went on for at least 20 years. I don't know because I, I know the date I put the food down. I don't know the date I picked it up. Um, 
it just went on and on and on. And every time I would get a day, I would be like, okay, this is it. And I, over the course of those 20 or so years, I must have had hundreds and thousands of last hurrahs. This is the last time, and tomorrow I'm going to finally do it. And I just never could. And I just spiraled deeper into despair and depression. And then I would eat. I would get depressed because I was eating, and then I would eat because I was depressed. And um, and it just went on endlessly. And it was only when I finally got to the point where even in my periods of sobriety of not eating, I no longer had any hope. I remember somebody saying to me, oh, you're doing great. You have a week. And my response was, yeah, but I know I'm just going to eat again. And it was at that point of just knowing that um, even though I was abstinent today, I was just in this, uh, that was just a part of my cycle where I wasn't eating and I would pick up again. That was what finally brought me to a place of surrender and uh, I, I don't wish that despair and darkness on anybody, but I have to say that's what, that's what finally made me surrender to this program. And it was only by doing that that I could put the food down. I'm so grateful. That was uh, about 15 months ago, and my whole life has changed completely since then. And um, I, yeah, I'm just really, really grateful for this program and, and honestly for the despair that I had to get to in order to get recovered. So thanks for letting me share. Oh, well said, Terry. Thanks so much. Okay, Lane, jump on into the boat. Come on board. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning fellas. Uh, good. This is uh, Lane C. Yeah, Lane may read C, actually, but I just figured I'd shorten my name um, uh, just since that's how I've been in this in this meeting. But this is Lane may read C. I'm a compulsive reader in Rochester, New York. Um I really appreciate the previous share. You know, for me, um, when I first came into this program, um, all the different stories about how, you know, food, sugars, ingredients cease to be a luxury, um, it was really hard sometimes for me to identify in um, just because, you know, there were times when my, um, I, I had really convinced myself inside my head uh, that things were not that bad or that things weren't as bad as it, it was for, you know, for you all and for some of the stories that you would share. Um, and so for me, you know, today, I just really can also relate to this piece about, you know, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety, which renewed my life's hope. Um, you know, uh, in, for me, that also, that not only happened in my progression in the disease before I came into OA, but that also happened in Overeaters Anonymous. I've been in this program for about seven years. And, um, you know, I, there were periods of time when I felt like I could control the food. And when I was, I mean, my first couple of years in here, I was in and out of relapse constantly. Um, and so much of it was about ways that I just did not accept my own powerlessness over the disease and ways that, you know, for me, um, I was not willing to, you know, identify in um, my ability to not control uh, what I, you know, the food um, was part of what did bring me in, uh, was realizing that I had this really sort of classic form of addiction where I wanted to stop, but I couldn't. Um, I, you know, I, I made resolutions, I made, you know, you know, firm commitments to myself, and then I would be eating, uh, you know, sugary foods, cakes and cookies by 11am that morning. Um, I always was really good at breakfast, it was it was oftentimes into the day. And that's, you know, that's, 
um, what brought me in and, and ways that these foods ceased to be a luxury. But then when I was in here, I was really trying to control the food. I was trying to control my weight. And I think that that's a really uh, interesting area for me where, you know, control is just so central in addiction and so central in this disease of compulsive overeating. I, you know, I have restricted in this program to the point where my body um, wasn't getting enough like healthy nutrients and what it needed um, because I wanted to be thin and, and not, you know, no amount of thinness was thin enough. Um, and, you know, there were times when I had this really ideal body and I'm just reflecting today on where I am, you know, having been in this program for, t- for seven years, having been, you know, in um, uh, abstinence and recovered for the last couple of years and just how little control I really seek around my food and around my size and how much of a freedom that is and how I really feel like that's where my higher power would want me to be today is not to be in control is to be surrendered is to be, um, you know, open to what, what God's plan is for me today. Uh, so with that, I will pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks Wayne. Okay. we got time for one more share who wants uh, that spot. Don't all jump at once here. We need a good closer, a good lefty. Someone's got a little slider, fastball. This is Priscilla H. I could take that. Priscilla, you got a you got a fastball. Let's go to it. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I love this paragraph, and um, it it brings to my mind a little jingle that probably everybody has heard. I ate like Bill drank, and I thought like Bill thank. So the way that Bill thought was that he could control the situation. And I thought that. I thought that so many times uh, throughout my adult life. I think my eating disorder, my addiction to sugary food started in infancy probably. But there were periods of abstinence, just like Bill had periods of sobriety. And what I didn't uh, know for the first 30-some-odd years in OA in my experience, is that it's about the food, but it's not about the food. It's about uh, my higher power, the higher power of my not understanding. Excuse me. And that the whole point of this book, the biggest point of this book, is about developing that relationship. Um, I could go on and on, but I won't. With that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Oh, thanks, Priscilla, for closing us out. Hey, I want to give you – get out your scorecards. I want to give you a correction. I messed up on – the share ID for yesterday for the 10 a.m. meeting is 18,970. I pulled some other number out of my rear end. 18,970 for Wednesday's 10 a.m. meeting. Okay. So getting that out of the way, I want to thank everyone for joining us this morning. Everyone who's participated today, those who kind of jumped in, and please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study that it's uh, going to immediately follow our closing. The share ID, let me give you that one for today. I think I'll get it right. Uh, the t- today's share ID is 18,976. That's 18976. So today we're going to close with a reading from the big book. Uh, we're going to on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. So, Kathy S., would you do that for us? 
Yes, sir. Um, okay. <laughs> this is Kathy S. Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Georgia. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.